are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's message. You know, one of the holiday sermons, for those who you just don't know, holiday sermons ain't fun for the preacher. Um, just because there's, I mean, especially Christmas, there's only a few Christmas texts. If you know your gospels a little bit, there's only two gospels out of four that actually deal with the Christmas narratives. So if you're thinking there's like a plethora of stuff going on, there's only Matthew and Luke that actually deal with the birth narratives. And let's be honest, if you grew up in a church or even if you didn't, most of you watched Charlie Brown's Christmas. All right. Okay. You know the story. And so it's hard for us preacher folk this time of year, um, but you know what? It's okay. God's called me to preach it. So if this is the thousandth time you've heard this story, then let's make it a thousand and one. I don't care really, okay? Because I got you here. But what I, my prayer has been all week, and, it's, and, and, I, and I think it happened in the first service, and I pray it will in the second too, is that, that this will be fresh to you guys this morning. That it would, I know you've heard it before, but don't be lulled to sleep with the familiarity of it. Okay, hear it. Try to put yourself back 2,000 years. Take your, you know, the cleanness of what you got in your little nativities and, and kind of the nice, how arranged it in your mind. And let's try it as best as we can to get back to the original. Because that, that's where I think we'll really see and be amazed by this, by this story. And we're just gonna look at two ladies this morning, the teenager and the senior citizen. You know them, you love them. Um, and we're just gonna look at how they respond to the message of Christ. Because the reality is this for both these ladies, the coming of Messiah initially does not make their life better. It actually makes it harder. It makes it harder. But yet they still have joy. And how is that possible? These two ladies really shouldn't, earthly speaking, have joy, but they do. And so we're gonna see that. And I'm like, I don't have six points or five alliterations. I have zero points this morning. In fact, if you take notes or not, I'm really, that's not my goal. My goal is for you to hear this familiar story once again, and it to be just, that you find some joy and some peace and and some excitement in what Christ has done. All right, so let's look at this this teenager and a senior senior citizen, Luke chapter two, excuse me, Luke chapter one, and if you have the the, the pew Bible there in front of you or the chair Bible, it's page 731, Um, and and let's, let's just jump in to this familiar story. Chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. All right, six months is what it opens up. Six months of what? We're kind of picking up halfway through the story, right? Um, If you read the first part of chapter one, here's kind of what's happened so far. There's a high priest. His name is Zechariah. He has chosen, the one time in his life he has chosen to do this, to go and offer incense inside the holy place at this golden altar that stands before the Holy of Holies. It's a one time in his life deal. It's the high point of his career. So he goes in, he offers this incense, and all of a sudden, boom, Gabriel, the angel, is standing there. And Gabriel says, you're an old dude, your wife's an old lady, but you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, and he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, this high priest who knows the Bible better than any of us says, well, how do I know this is going to happen? And Gabriel says, and I quote, really? 
I'm an angel. No, he doesn't say that, but I feel like he would want to. He says, you know what? God is gonna do this, and so that you will know, you're not gonna be a talk for 10 months, which stunk for him, but was great for his wife, Elizabeth, all right? So sure enough, he leaves, he goes home. His wife, who has been barren, and it is a reproach on her entire life, is, is an old lady. The text goes out of its way to say she's advanced in years, but she gets pregnant with a child. And in that sixth month, she's pregnant with John the Baptist, that's where we pick up in verse 26. So when it says in the sixth month, that's what it's talking about. But don't kind of glance over. We read it, I think, and we're so familiar with it, we, we miss. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent where? From God. He told Zechariah, I stand in the presence of God. What you gotta understand here is Gabriel was not Clarence. He's not an angel second class, okay? He is not earning his wings. Gabriel is the bomb, He stands in the throne room. This is not a lower level private angel. He is the man and he shows up, right? God sends him from his presence. It is a big deal. And he goes to a place called Nazareth in Galilee. Now, most of us, if we had a map of Israel, maybe we couldn't find it. Here's kind of a, a, a little bit of a map. Nazareth is up here. All right, this is the north, this is the south. It's kind of turned at an angle a little bit. Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, Mediterranean. And what you have to understand when it comes to the topography of Israel, the further north you got out of this area, out of Judea, kind of the more uneducated, rough around the edges, hillbilly, redneck, whatever you want to call it, the further north you got, the more kind of like, ooh, yeah. You want to be down here. This is where everything's happening. Jerusalem, okay, that's, that's the happening place. Outside of there, your country bumpkin. And Nazareth, of all places, is extremely that. In fact, it wouldn't even exist as a town if it wasn't like on the main, main trade route. It's filled with just tradesmen who spoke basic Aramaic, the language of the day. Jesus grew up speaking Aramaic, by the way. That's what language he spoke. Just normal folks, dirty little town on the side of the hill. Don't glamorize, it's not the sound of music, the hills are alive, the sound of Nazareth. It's not that, okay? It's, not, it's just this dirty little town. It's, it's n- not even barely on their map. In fact, it's so kind of, really, Nazareth? When, remember when Philip hears Messiah from Nazareth and he's like, really? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, really? That's the thought. There's nothing there but a flashing light and a dollar general. That's all there is. All right, that's kind of the idea there, all right? And so Gabriel goes there from God and he tells us two things about about this lady, all right? She was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, her name is Mary. It's a common name, Miriam. It would have been the equivalent. Moses' sister, Miriam. Okay, obviously constantly naming your kids after heroes of the faith, and Miriam's obviously a, a famous lady in that culture. So her name is just a common name. But two things about her. Number one, she is a virgin. Is that significant? It's absolutely significant. The Greek word is parthenos. means someone who has never been with a man, right? Um, understand there's those out there, oh, the virgin birth doesn't really matter. Oh, it's not a big deal. It absolutely matters. In fact, I would, I would argue that all of Christianity rests on the fact that she is a virgin, not just because the scripture says it, because if Jesus has a physical earthly father, he has a sin nature. If he has a sin nature, he cannot die for the sins of man, and thus we are doomed. He has to escape the earthly Adamic nature that comes through the father, but yet still be 100% man. How can that be possible? Through a woman who is, man, who is fully human, but yet doesn't get a sin nature from a father, a physical father. 
fact, that's what Matthew argues when he gives his genealogy of Jesus. It says, Jacob is the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. And the Greek is very specific there. It's singular feminine. It's not of them. It's of Mary. She, he was born of Mary, not of Joseph and Mary, of Mary. All right, so if anyone says, oh, the virgin birth is not important, you say, oh no, it is absolutely important. It is critical to our faith because Jesus was perfect man, but also 100% God and sinless. So it says back in Luke that she was a virgin. And secondly, it says that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And the idea of betrothal back then was not like, now, you know, we go to, you know, we go to, the jeweler and put the ring on the finger and okay, we start planning. It was a legal contract. You had to go downtown in essence and sign a paper. If you wanted to break off the engagement, you had to get a certificate of divorce. All right, so you had about a year engagement typically where the husband would go build a house and and save up for the dowry and all these things, right? So he could pay the father. And so it was a legal deal, all right? And typically in that culture, I know this is kind of maybe shocking for some of you, a girl upon puberty would be engaged, all right? That would be about when she got engaged. So that means she was probably married soon after and by 13, 14, 15 years old having her first kid. It's like eighth grade. Some of y'all ladies are like, eighth grade? Yeah, imagine being the mother of God in eighth grade. <laughs> right? So it's not, you know, she's 27 and she's been working out there for a couple of years. She's a young gal. and She's betrothed, right? And so here she is and Again, the text doesn't tell us where she is, but in verse 28, an angel, Gabriel, came to her and said, greetings, O favor, when the Lord is with you. And again, where would she be? Who knows? She could be sweeping the house. She could be making her bed. She could be grinding wheat. And who knows? But whatever it is, this angel shows up, this supernatural creature. And like, we, again, we, we Americanize it and we make it so nice. And usually we think of angels with like two wings, Right. The scripture never really tells us what all angels look like. We have a few small descriptions, but in Isaiah 6, the angels there, they have six wings, two covering their face, two covering their feet, and two they fly. You have a six-winged creature show up when you're sweeping out the kitchen, you're going to freak out, all right? I'm just telling you. So don't soften the thing. Now, I know that angels, typically when they show up, there's a lot of shock value. It seems that, that she's a little, he's a little bit more gentle with Mary. Maybe God says, don't, don't scare her. You know, she's 13. I mean, can, can be gentle, right? But he says, greetings, O favored one. Right? Now, how would you respond? She's 13, 14. I can imagine she's trembling. She's, maybe she cries. I mean, 13-year-old girls, not the first time that's happened. All right? I, I, who knows? So greetings. But, but her response is what? She, she's troubled, right? She was greatly troubled, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, right? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. She is not a giver of favor. That Greek word there, favor, is the same word for grace. She's, she's found grace in God. She is not a bestower of grace. She doesn't offer grace. She is in no way a co-redemptress. She is not perfect. She is not sinless. And she does not stay a perpetual virgin because she ends up having at least at least six more kids after Jesus. Four brothers, and it says he has sisters, plural. So there's at least six more. But at this point, she has found grace. Why? Because God has chosen her to be the mother of God, to be the the mother of the Messiah. She is passive in this. And she is a sinner just like the rest of us because when she prays in a little bit, she's gonna call God her savior. All right, so she is not to be worshiped, but she is to to be learned from, right? 
So she is receiving grace. She will be the mother of the Messiah. And the next thing, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Very common name in the day. It's the Hebrew word, Yeshua. We just studied Yeshua's book, Joshua, right? It's, it's not a, oh, this is the first kid. There's probably a bunch of Joshua's running around those days, a bunch of Jesus's because you're gonna name your kids after heroes, right? But the name is significant because it means Yahweh saves. You're gonna name this baby Yahweh saves. Why? Because Yahweh saves. And in the language here, she knows what he's saying. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom of his kingdom, there will be no end. She may be 13, 14 years old and maybe never went to seminary, but she understands what's going on there. This is very messianic language. Throne of David, house of Jacob forever. She knows the Old Testament prophets. She knows what he's saying here. You are gonna be the mom of Messiah, which probably many a woman was in those days longing for, especially when Rome is in charge. They're looking for a deliverer. They're looking for a Messiah. And so she understands, but she still has a question. Verse 34, Mary said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now her question is different than Zachariah says, how do I know this is gonna happen? He is doubting the potential for it. She's not saying, how do I know? She's saying, how can this be? I, I've been to seventh grade health class. It's not how it works. This, this is not physiologically how the deal works. How can this be? And he says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. See, she doesn't doubt. She just is wondering how. But don't blow through that. We blow through, oh, isn't that great? Yeah, no. You know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. She's 13, 14. She doesn't know what that means. You read the Old Testament, the, the, tr the Trinity is clearly a biblical doctrine, but it's more revealed in the New Testament, the Old. She doesn't have some, con she doesn't have, oh, look, I got my study Bible out here. The Holy Spirit, yeah, the third person of the Trinity. Yeah, 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 I got that thing. The Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary. That's how, oh, great. What does that mean? I don't know what that means right? She doesn't have a Bible dictionary to take out. Oh yeah, let's, let me study the word for spirit here. But yet look at her response in verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. I am the, I am the bond slave is a better translation even. It's someone who sells himself into the service of other. Let it be according to your word. Now think about the contrast. Zechariah, expert in the law, been studying the scripture since he was in the mother's womb, knows the Old Testament, knows how Abraham's wife was 80 years old when she had a kid, knows how Samson's parents were barren, knows how Samuel's parents were barren. He knows the scriptures and he knows how God can do this. And when he's told your wife's gonna have a baby, he says, huh, how is that possible? Here's a 13-year-old girl, never been to seminary in the temple. God says, you're gonna have a baby. She says, okay, whatever. I'm the servant of the Lord. Think about the response in faith, right? And you have to know, you have to understand what that means for Mary. I mean, this, it, it, Nazareth may be kind of a rougher town, but in a hyper-religious culture of its day, you know what this means? It means scandal. It, it means adulterer. It means black sheep of the family. It could mean a potential death sentence. It means loneliness. Who's gonna believe her? 
Her fiance doesn't. We'll see that next week. He doesn't believe her. Oh, but, but it was an angel, Joseph. Yeah, uh-huh. Her parents, what are they gonna say? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, sure. Angels show up all the time. I see them out in the field, right? This is a life-altering, life-shattering. What's gonna happen with her marriage? What's gonna happen with her life? And single moms in that day, you were a beggar. You were gonna become a beggar. That was the only thing. It was not, oh, I can go get a job. And No, no, that wasn't happening, right? This is, this is huge. But that's why we, we, when you look at the response, that's why I'm blown away. This is why I'm, I'm not saying we worship Mary. We never worship anyone but Christ alone. But you can understand why she's exalted in some places because she is so sharp that we can learn a ton from her. And I think as Protestants, we always, you know, because we're shying away from, from worshiping Mary because we shouldn't worship Mary, but we, and we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, Mary, and we just kind of, you know, she's just whatever. She is a godly young gal. We can learn a lot from her. I mean, at 13, 14 years old, life-shattering, whatever the Lord says. Oh, and by the way, who's, at the, not, who's there at the end when Jesus is on the cross? Peter is not there. Thomas is hiding under a bush. Barnabas is up a tree somewhere. Or, or, or Bartholomew is up a tree. Where are all the disciples? They're hiding. Who's at the foot of the cross? Mary. The only one that makes it is John. He's the only one with the guts to be at the cross. Right? She's sharp. She's sharp. So what happens next? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. <laughs> yeah, I love that, with haste. She gets out of Dodge quick. You would too. And where does she go? She goes to the one place. She's the one woman in all the country that's gonna understand to Elizabeth, right? She was in the hill country to a town in Judah. And Judah is about 50 to 70 miles to the south. So you figure a two to three day journey and she heads out. And, and I love the language here, okay? Again, picture what's going on here. She enters the house of Zechariah and greet Elizabeth. Okay, now what's, a, what's Elizabeth doing? Again, we don't know. What is any senior citizen who's pregnant doing? Probably sitting down or taking a nap. I don't know. I mean, that's my gut, right? But whatever she's doing, she doesn't see her. That's important, I think. It says when she hears the voice. Now, notice it does, she doesn't see when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. So you can just picture this teenage girl running up the hill. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. She runs into the house and, and all of a sudden Elizabeth, whoa, whoa. Old boy's doing triple Lindy's in there, okay? And what does she say? Well, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. I love that, a loud cry. That's like a, my, my understanding is like a, that, like a female like squeal, like, ah! You know, one of those things, you know? I mean, right? And so she screams with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What does Elizabeth know at this point? Zip, nada, no email. Hey, I'm coming to visit. She knows nothing. Talk about women's intuition. And as soon as Mary comes in, what's, what's the baby at best a month old in Mary? Maybe a couple days even, right? And she knows why, because she was filled with the Spirit, right? What, is, what do I do? The mother of my Lord. And, and notice what happens next. For behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
We're talking about the joy of the two ladies here, not to mention the joy of John the Baptist, who was only six months old in his mother's womb. I don't even know what to do with that theologically. I don't, I don't have an explanation. He's doing triple endies for joy inside there, filled with the Spirit at six. Miracle. It's pretty cool stuff. And just as a quick side note, if there's any question biblically about the personhood of babies, here's your text. Jesus is at best a couple weeks old in his mother's womb, at best. And she is, in essence, worshiping him. John the Baptist is worshiping at six months. So that is why, as a church, we are pro-life. Because the value of man is, is in the image of God, not in the age or ability. Right? I mean, Jesus is probably, at this point, microscopic. And he's being worshiped. Right? So that's why. But, again... It's this miracle, right? You're blessed, you're blessed. And verse 45, and blessed is he, and blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You're blessed, Mary, because not only are you gonna be the mother of the Messiah, but because you believe God, unlike knucklehead back here who can't talk, right? Because <laughs> there's Zechariah thinking, <laughs> he's sitting in the back there, you know, doing something. You believed, she did, he did not, right? You're blessed. And so Mary then busts out into song. And you can see in your Bible, there's a different typeset probably. It's probably staggered a little bit. That's because most scholars and editors will agree that this is poetic language. It's probably some sort of a hymn. There's rhythm to it. And so it puts it as a, as a typeset. So it's in essence a song. It's, it's Nazareth's Got Talent or something. She's going off right now. And she's going to sing this joyful hymn. It's called the Magnificat because the first word in Latin is just that, that word Magnificat, right? So there's, it's not anything. There's a title in the, it's just kind of how we've named it because of the Latin. But, but let me read it and we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You just catch the joyfulness. My soul rejoices. It magnifies. He's done great things. He's shown us mercy. He's exalted us. He's filled us. He's helped us. He's remembered us. It's just great worship him, right? There's joy. And as I just kind of, again, if I get into the narrative and I understand what's going on and I try to do my best, I see two women who are rejoicing when really they don't have a ton from an earthly perspective to, to rejoice about. Here is a senior citizen who's pregnant. It's not easy being pregnant at 25. Can you imagine being 75 and pregnant? Not only that, your son is not exactly gonna be the first kid picked on the recess. He is going to be despised. And killed. And that's, that's what Elizabeth's got. Mary, I mean, her future is completely at this point unknown. God moving into both of their lives and making them a part of his plan has completely 
shattered their dreams and hopes of what the way, the way they had it drawn out. Elizabeth certainly didn't have it drawn out getting pregnant at 75, maybe at 15 and raising a family and having grandkids and great-grandkids. and that, that was how she drew it out. Mary may not have had hopes of being rich and being something special, but certainly her and Joseph making a nice little house for themselves, raising up little kids, little carpenters, little white picket fence, little Labrador out back, whatever it is. She had visions of that. She didn't have visions of being a teenage mom without a husband. She didn't have visions of having to run to Egypt because her life was in danger. She didn't have visions of, of her whole life not living down this, this idea of, oh, who's the dad? She certainly didn't have visions of having to stand there and watch her son be crucified by the Romans. That's not how they drew it up. And look, that's the reality. Most of us are, in, are not living in how we drew it up. I had myself as the, cap, of the captain of the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that didn't work out. I missed it by that much, right? right? I, most of us, if we're honest, cancer was not in the plan. Recession was not in the plan. Losing my mom, my whoever this year was not in the plan. My kids doing this, my company moving me to, that wasn't in a plan. This chronic arthritis, my back that constantly hurts, the clutch going out of my car right before Christmas. Those, that's not in the plan, our plan, how we draw it up. Just like them. But yet they still have joy. How is that? How is that possible? Could it be because joy doesn't come from circumstances, maybe? It comes from something beyond? And, there, and there's some, here, there's two things that stand out about these ladies that, that I love that really struck me this week. And I think this is the key for us getting joy. Um, the first thing is this. There's some tremendous humility in these ladies. I mean, this is, there just is. I mean, what, is, what does Elizabeth say when Mary comes in? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And she blesses her. Now, in that culture, the older doesn't bless the younger. The younger blesses the older, right? But she flips it on her head. Why? Because she understands who she is and who that baby is. And there's tremendous humility. And look, she, even, if, even if they're equals, she's the wife of a priest. That's got to be socially higher than the wife of a carpenter. But she's blessing. Who am I? And, and the humility of Mary? I mean, she put your Christmas cards aside. She was not sitting in the corner praying. And Gabriel shows up and she's like, I've been waiting for you, Gabriel. She didn't do that. I mean, she was not expecting. She wasn't like, oh yes, I am favorite. She, this was not in her plans. She didn't think anything. I am the bond servant of the Lord. He talks about my soul, my humble estate. He, I am, I am, he's filled the hungry. He's exalted those of, she is lowly. But see, here's what you have to, this is the beauty of this story. This is the beauty of the gospel. We need to hear that God notices the humble and the weak and the marginalized and the lowly. That is who the kingdom is for. The kingdom is for the humble. What does he say? Those of humble estate, he fills the hungry. It's the lowly. That's who the kingdom's for. And it doesn't get any lower or lowly than a teenage pregnant lady and a senior citizen. But yet, think about this. Historically, how many people know about Messiah at this point outside of heaven? Two, a teenager and a senior citizen. 
Who does God choose to announce the coming of the great I am, the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the Ancient of Days? Who does he choose to put that information into? A teenager and a senior citizen. The only ones at this point. Oh, and again, who is the first people to see the risen Christ? A couple ladies, marginalized ladies. A lady who had seven demons at one time. A couple older moms, grandmothers. And if, if anyone ever has question of the value of women in scripture, you just need to read the birth of Christ and the resurrection, right? Because the scripture highly values women. It, it's a true statement that behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. <laughs> the reality is this, in a, and in that culture, in this culture, there's often, and even in the church, there's a devaluing of women. Yes, there's distinction in roles, but there's a devaluing of women because we value roles and not person, and the scripture does not go there. In fact, it goes out of its way to value women. And let me just say this, as a church, this church would not be anywhere without hundreds of ladies praying and serving you never even know it. Like this church would, be, would have been gone long ago if people like my, or in the early days of like my wife and others weren't in the nursery every week and praying and, and giving the men some, some guidance because we were blind. And it's still that way. And we're still blind. But you need to understand the value of the body, both male and female. And don't ever think, oh, this is men. No, no. Right? That's not how Christ is. That's not how the kingdom is. That's just a side note. But the gospel, the kingdom of Christ is for who? It's for the lowly, the humble, the weak, the hungry. In fact, I think that's really the theme, the idea behind this book. Chapter later, Jesus is gonna be taken to the temple and there's a man named Simeon there and he's gonna snatch the baby out of Mary's hands before she even knows what happens. And he's gonna hold this baby up and he's gonna prophesy and he's gonna tell her, this baby is for the rise and fall of many in Israel. Many are gonna rise because of this baby and many are going to fall. For some, the coming of Christ is joyful. It's a celebration. It is exciting. And to others, it's a threat, right? Who's it a threat to? The proud, the exalted, the arrogant, the rich, the full, men like Herod. Later on, men like the Pharisees. I got my religion, I'm good. Men like the rich young ruler who have it all. And I want heaven, but just don't ask me to do anything. I wanna worship my money and God. See, if, if you're proud and arrogant and you got it all together, you, you're religious, I'm a good person. I've been to church, I've been baptized. I know the answers, I've been through the study. I know this story, I know all the, yeah, yeah I, I, I've heard this before. I've heard good sermons on, you know, it's better than this one even, on, on the narrative of Christ and I know all the answers and I don't need, if that is your heart towards the scripture and towards the coming of Christ, then he will have to topple you because he's either gonna exalt or he's gonna crush and it's all how you respond to him. Who is the kingdom for? It's for the humble, it's for the lowly, it's for those who are hungry. I didn't come for those who are healthy, I came for those who were sick, right? And so if you think you got it all together and I got my religion and I'll just say, you know, I'm fine, my bank account's fine, health is fine, job's fine, you know, I'll kind of do my deal and light the candle and sing the Christmas songs but I kind of don't want Jesus invading my space. He might have to top. He might have to make you dumb like old Zechariah before he can make you wise. And there's no joy 
in that. The joy is in humility. The joy is, is understanding, oh, he's done great things. And that leads, really the second thing that kind of stands out to me, not only are they humble, but their humbleness then leads to amazement. It leads to, who am I that God would do this for me? They are enamored, they are blown away that God would choose to use them in such a way to give them gifts and, and put them in this, 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 his big narrative of what he's doing. The two main players in the book of Luke, John the Baptist and Jesus, and they get to be a part of that. And instead of being arrogant about it and, you know, oh, look what happened to us, because that's a typical response. Once you get to some gifts, you get good at some things, you see some fruit, there's typically, ooh. These, could, these two ladies could easily turn into the original soccer moms. And men, you know, men with kids, you know soccer moms. You look over, they're scary. Got their minivans, look all sweet. You look at them and practice in the bleachers. They'll, they'll burn your burns out with their eyes or, right? They'll, they want your kid to get an ACL injury because they want to get their, you know, whatever it takes, right? These ladies could have been that. Oh, my son, look what he's going to do. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to baptize thousands. He's going to be cool wearing leather and he's going to eat bugs. Isn't he cool? Or my son, he's going to make wine. He's going to walk on water. He's, he's God and, and incarnate. And there could have been this easily, look at, look at us, of course. But instead it's, who are we? My spirit rejoices. He's looked on the humble estate. People will call me blessed. I'm not, but they will call me that. Right? And as I, as I read this, I'm, you know, no one would ever accuse me of being an emotional guy. But I, I tell you, several times this week, just reading through it and thinking about it, I got moderately choked up for me. Because I think, here's a 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old, she gets it. I mean, and when I look at my idols and my brokenness and my struggles, I can't, I'm, like, if, I, if I'm truthful, I have to respond, who am I? I have to. There's no other response, y'all. And we've said it before, and we'll continue to say it till the cows come home. Whoever stands up here on a Sunday morning is just as broke as the guy that's standing in the parking lot. Please don't exalt men or church or anything else. Don't, don't oh, this is, uh, the, the Bill did this for me, or church did. No, we, we've done nothing. Don't exalt a man. If you exalt a man, if you exalt a church, then you will be greatly disappointed when we mess up because it's going to happen. I want us to say, no, no, he has done great things for me. He who is mighty has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. His strength has done these things. He has brought down. That's the response. It's been Christ, right? Have that view. The idea that Christ coming into the world, that gives significance. That gives value. That gives purpose. That is great things. That can give joy in the midst of harsh circumstances, you have value because of Christ and Christ alone, not because of what's going on. That is where it is. We spent a whole four months looking at the book of Ephesians and talking about identity. Our identity in Christ is what matters, not what you do, how you do it. That, that gives significance. And that's a reason to celebrate. If nothing else, he has done great things. Great things are down the line for her. The immediate for her is not easy. I mean, the next verse, it's very telling. Mary returned with her about, Mary remained with her three months and then returned home. She probably stayed through the birth. And where does she go? Home. What's happening at three to four months of a pregnancy? She left and she was skinny little Mary. She came back and guess what's happening? A little bit of baby showing. What are they going to say? 
when she gets back to Nazareth. It's not a big town. It's probably smaller than this little South Gardens neighborhood. Everybody knows her. Did you hear Mary's back in town? El Prego. <laughs> that, that's what's going to happen. Joseph's not going to believe her. He doesn't. It takes an angel to convince him. What about her parents? You find it interesting? I do that her parents are never mentioned except for his name in the genealogy. Why is that? I don't know, but could it be that they didn't want anything to do with her after this? I, I don't, can't prove that. I can't say either way, but very interesting you don't see him. Who's going to believe? Right? But that's part of her identi identifying with Christ. Christ's coming has initially made her heart, life harder. Her fiance wants to divorce her. And even, even 30 years later, do you realize they're still talking trash about Mary 30 years later? They're accusing Jesus' mom of being immoral. Even today, 2,000 years later, there's books written about how Mary and some Roman soldier or something, there's still slander in her. And she was innocent. The only thing she's guilty of is being found and chosen by God, being lavished with his favor. That's the only thing she's guilty of. But she embraces the lowliness. She joyfully clings to the God who says, there's nothing impossible with God and she continues to say, he has done great things. And, and look, she doesn't know all the answers. She doesn't have all the answers together, I can tell you. She doesn't understand the, just everything. She just, she doesn't. But yet she still says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Right? And she has joy. I got questions. She has questions. Love this song, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that your boy came to make you new? He will soon deliver you. Not, not in the way that he did. Mary, did you know your boy would walk on water? He calmed the storm, he gives sight to the blind man. Eh. She heard some things about signs, but not specifically. Mary, did you know that your baby boy walked where angels walk? When you kiss your baby's face, you're kissing the face of God. I don't think she fully grasped that. Mary, did you know that your baby is the Lord of all creation, that he would one day rule the nations? I I would have been holding them carefully. I wouldn't have been letting no guy snatch them out of my hands at the temple if that was the case. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, that your sleeping child that you're holding is the great I am? Did you know that, Mary? I think as best she could. I think she wanted to. What a, you see, I hope you see why we come back to this story every year. Because it's not boring. It's challenging. It's tough. Right? But in the end, there's joy. Why? Why is there joy? Regardless of where you're at. Because he has done great things for us. He has freed us from the bondage of sin. He has rescued us and transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. He has made us alive. He has made us sons and daughters. He has satisfied his holy wrath on that son. That's why we come back and say he has done great things. And I, I know that there's the struggles. I get it. I got them too. And there's times when I want to quit. I do. This job is hard. There's times when I want to quit. There's times when, when raising kids I want to give up. There's times and all things, and we're all there. But when we come back to he has done great things. Right? That's, that's where our joy rests. 
And that's what I want you guys to see this morning. I want to, we don't sing joy to the world because it's the time of the year. We sing joy because we're the ones that have joy. Where does joy come from? The fruit of the Spirit, from the Spirit of Christ being in us. There's joy. And that's the heart of what we want to be as a church. Right? So let's pray. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask the praise team. The praise team's going to come up and we're going to play a little music for you guys to just sit and reflect for a few moments. You know, I, I love that we do all sorts of music here, and we don't do a lot of this type of music, but this time of year, I think it's fitting to sing a song called, or not sing, but to hear a song called, Hey, Joy of Man's Desiring, which was not written for weddings, by the way, by Bach. It was actually a hymn for the church. Uh, and these guys are going to play it for you. But as they do, just enjoy the beauty of music that God created, and just reflect on what Christ has done. Maybe close your eyes, maybe listen Uh, And we'll stand after the song and we'll continue to sing some songs. But just use this time to reflect on, he has done great things. And just name them. What has he done? What great things has he done for you? And if you have nothing else, you have the Son of God becoming man and taking your place on the cross. Let me pray and we'll worship. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. May we be a church filled with joy. Fill us with your joy. Despite where we're at, fill us with your joy. Lord, our soul magnifies you. Let us magnify you, Lord Jesus. It's your name, Savior.